Good morning. Welcome to Inspire Her Grown Up Girl Talk. I am here with Samantha Tredelius and Jennifer Tovani. I'm Stacy Fleece, and we are here to share our stories and hopefully give you some nuggets to inspire you this week and beyond. So uh, nice to see you ladies today. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. So uh, I was reading this week about the uh, Bumble IPO release and, and the fact that women CEOs, uh, women uh, supported ventures are still such a small percentage of companies uh, out there today, you know, women's representation in the boardroom continues to lag, all of the sort of the same stories, but it made me sort of really step back and reevaluate my path, my professional path, um, what drove it, and uh, sort of the, the journey that I had to take to get where I am today, which is not typical, but I don't think anyone's is typical. I don't think any woman's career path anymore is typical. Very true. And I think it's very interesting how the three of us are all in a commission-based field to where, you know, we literally got to hunt or kill. Otherwise, we don't, there's no money coming in. Like there's no consistent paycheck unless we're, you know, doing the, the deals. And um, it's, it's, a big res, it's a big responsibility and it's a scary, scary type of industry. I, I think, I know when I was trying to figure out like, okay, how much money did I want to make and how much money was my rent and everything else? I was like, okay, I have to sell so much insurance, you know, X amount of policies, X amount of premium to back out and make, you know, make it make sense. And so th that was how I really adjusted my month on how I was going to design my, my days to make, to make the income I needed to make. Um, and it's, it's scary, you know, it's, it's so scary. Yeah. When you look at the, the bottom line numbers and you're like, wow, I have to really hustle to get out there and, and collect clients and, and earn their respect and trust and, and all that so that they want to pay you to do what you do. Um, it is scary. It takes a lot of confidence. Well, I think it takes confidence and I think it takes the ability to really quantify your value and, yeah. um, I think women have a harder time quantifying their value as professionals. I mean, the, the cool part, the, the flip side of the coin is that when you are in a commission-based role, your upside is unlimited. You yeah. can make what you put into it and what you can get back out of it. Yeah. Um, but obviously the, the terrifying part is there isn't a lot of consistency in income. And so you, you do have to plan accordingly. It's a different financial plan. Um, and and uh, I mean, I think we've all been doing it long enough now that we're very used to it, but certainly on the front end, it, um, it, it was a different experience. It was a different world. Well, and don't you find that the more successful you become, the harder you have to fight for it. You have to keep up and prove that all the time. There's always people out there trying to, you know, discredit what you're actually doing. And you have to be very steadfast and confident to, to keep going and disregard some of those, you know, people trying to. I do feel like it's very difficult to ever take your foot off the gas. Yeah. Oh, so totally. There's, totally. there's that piece of it too, where, you know, you, 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 you can't ever really turn it off. 
no, once you start, you've got to be ready to keep rolling or get out because you can't go back. You know, I remember when I started in the insurance business, I was um, 18 and I was, it was like right when the internet leads kind of frenzy was going on. So you could buy leads online and I would buy, I would spend like $500 at a time and I would buy, you know, 30 leads and it would literally be like cold calling people for their renter's insurance. And you'd be like asking the question. And that's how I started. I would literally smile and dial and would spend hours and hours and built up this, you know, book of business. The thing that was interesting to me about insurance, and I always enjoyed it, was that, you know, as long, once you write the, the policy, it's the gift that keeps giving as long as you can nurture it and make sure that your clients will continue to pay and renew. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that you're protecting and not taking your foot off the gas because there's somebody who's like vulturing all the time. And those relationships, um, you know, I always find it unique in a sense to like, you don't shop your dentist or like your doctor, you know, you just, you trust them and you know, they're going to do a good job, but there's such a like uh, disdain with insurance people um, and the products that we sell. And, you know, like we're the agents themselves, like the brokers, we're not the bad guys. It's, you know, the insurance companies that are the bad guys, but we kind of get this icky, icky thought. But I love the fact that, you know, January one, as long as, you know, knowing that 80% of my business is going to stay on unless I completely blow it, you know, it's a great feeling going into every year where I know industries like Stacy's, like you've got to start every, every month is a new month and you got to start all over again. You know, there's no recurring rev. Well, it, yes, yes and no. There is recurring rev, but it, it much like your business, it's not an annual recurring rev, but it is relationship-based. If you mm -hmm. build those relationships and you maintain those relationships, when people want to move, when people want to take cash out to do a, redo a kitchen, when they want to refinance for paying for college or saving money or whatever the reason is, they will come back to you, but there's no, there's no sort of set timeline. There's no 12 month annual premium renewal. It is when, when their life needs arise. But you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I wrote the book Skirt Working with Michelle Alberta and Michelle Balog now, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And it was based on the networking group that we started, SKIRTS, which stands for Sharing Knowledge, Information, and Resources Together. And the reason we started it, and this was a, a networking group that still exists today, and it's uh, we built it specifically to support business women. Um, it's, it, can, it could be translated to anybody, but for what we wanted to do, we built it specifically for women. But the reason we really started it is because we found all the networking opportunities out there none of them were deeply relationship-based. They tended to be more <clears throat> count the referrals and, and you know, you have to come with three each month and you have to fill them out on a triplicate piece of paper and one goes to the person that you're referring and you keep one and there's like all these records kept, right? So you're referring people, that's great, but you're referring people that you may not have a relationship with. And what we found was if you build the relationship among business people, or in our case, business women, if you build that relationship first to where you understand their business and trust their business, the, the referrals grow organically out of that. So it is, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that a, a very commission-based business really does equate to a very deep relationship business. You can't be transactional in our types of business and be successful. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't be the McDonald's that serves 2 billion hamburgers to 2 billion people. 
you have right. to be the the burger place that serves two billion people to ten thousand people a hundred thousand times. Yeah, totally. I have to. There are so many variables in in the hair industry anyway. Like. I have to not only perform my job, but I have to make sure I don't piss anybody off or, you know, there's so many different things that I have to do. I have to keep up on education. I have to reach out. I have to get referrals from clients. Um, it's constantly keeping up with everything. And I've been in the business over 30 years now. So as I age, it's getting harder to be relevant. And so you have to keep, you know, upping your game. I mean, the whole reason I got into hairdressing in the first place was because I personally was really insecure. I didn't feel beautiful at all. And I simply started helping my girlfriends do their hair for big events they were going to or helping with them with makeup. And it became obvious to me that, oh, I might be okay at this. I might, uh, this might be something that I can actually do. And so I started hairdressing basically because I needed the help and was able to then see that I could actually help my friends. And they encouraged me to, to keep going with it. And, and I've never stopped, but I continue to have to fight for my position and, and my value. And that gets exhausting. Well, that, and that's interesting because I don't, I, well, I'll speak for me personally. You guys tell me what you think, but I didn't like grow up thinking, oh my God, I can't wait to get into a commission-based business and work my ass off to have income that fluctuates every month to support my family. Like yes, that wasn't really, totally not like, fun. That, that was not my senior quote in my high school. Annual. <laughs> right. um, but you know, it's, it's interesting how we landed here. So Jennifer, along those lines, what were you doing before you got into this? I, you know, straight out of, I mean, I went to hair school a year out of high school. But what I had done during high school, my very first job was working for San Rafael Medical Group as an assistant to the x-ray technician. I thought I was going into medical field. I, you know, went to college originally thinking I was going to be an RN. And even as recent as, you know, my 40s, I, I quit doing hair because in the back of my head, my ex-husband's comment about hairdressing being a non-career, it's a cop-out, a beauty school dropout kind of situation. In the back of my head, I had this negative self-talk going on that said that this wasn't a viable career. And so I went back to school to again pursue medical and I got a phlebotomy license, which I loved doing. But while doing phlebotomy, I realized that I make way more money doing hair. And it was ridiculous as a single mom at the time to be working for 16 bucks an hour when I can, you know, do a fantastic highlight, make somebody, you know, amazingly happy and want to come back and see me and, and pay, you know, 150 bucks for it. So I, it was like a no brainer. I'm like, I still really love doing hair and I should do what I love and not worry about what anybody else thinks. Absolutely. It's still, it's still a, a business that is not very uh, high on people's um, career list. I mean, the government currently, we're non-essential. We don't even show up on the list of potential vaccine you know, 
list to register for. I just like, want to clarify, Jen, you're extremely essential to me. I think <laughs> extremely. I think you're you're t top of my list. No, I think that you are absolutely essential. I think it's um, it's interesting to find the paths that we take to get to where you know we we land, so to speak. And then I also think it's interesting when you have these challenges in business. I mean, having employees, having being responsible for for rent and for the lights and for all those things that I mean, I can't tell you when I was starting off and you know, started to grow the business and then you have a couple like down months or you lose a big client or things just don't go as planned or rent, you know, gets higher than it was the month before. And you're thinking to yourself, well, shit, you know, like I'm not gonna be able to take a paycheck this month because I've got to pay my staff or I've got to take care of this extra expense that came up. Um, and there's a lot of things that like you don't think about until you're presented with them. And it's, you know, it's very scary a lot of times. And then like, the other thing that I, I, I always like really struggled with is, you know, it wasn't until like the Yelp and then the Glassdoor era where people could go online and say the nastiest shit about people or your business because nobody goes online to write like nice stuff, rarely, um, yeah. most of the time. And like, I remember it was about four or five years ago, uh, we had had an employee that had gone online and wrote some just awful, like personal things about me. Um, that were totally untrue and just like this person was just pissed off and taking it out and you read it and you're like, mm -hmm, okay. But as a business owner, knowing what I go through to make sure that, you know, my staff could have, you know, pay their bills and do what they needed to do where there was food in the office or whatever it was, it was very hurtful to think that like, this is how people think about me and they don't really care. And so therefore like, you kind of have to have this thicker skin, so to speak. And I, one of our chats with Brittany, she was like, you know, well, I don't feel like I'm a boss enough. And I'm like, girl, you got to get burned a couple times. <laughs> and then you, you realize like, okay, well, you know, in order to not feel like this, I need to create these boundaries or these barriers or whatever the case may be. But, you know, owning a business is, is great and it's fun and it's exciting, but there's also a lot of scary stuff that goes along with it that I don't think a lot of people talk about because they, it's like a taboo, so to speak, but it's, it's real and it's intense, you know? But you yeah. have to be willing to take those right turns when you need to take those right turns. When, oh, totally. When, and, and, and a lot of times they come up for things outside your control that aren't maybe even related to your business. I mean, I, you know, I did not grow up saying, oh my God, I can't wait to get into mortgage banking when I'm an adult. Like that sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Jen, speaking of like careers that people kind of go, hmm, you know, uh, mortgage banking, there was a long, I, I think it's, it's taken a different turn now post mortgage crisis, but there was a long time that I think we were right up there with insurance brokers and car salesmen. Right. Um, but, you know, I always knew I was going to be in finance. I always knew I was going to be in business. But uh, the first part of my career, I was in hedge funds. I was a hedge fund manager. Wow. And uh, in, you know, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, when it was like the go-go Wall Street, right? And that was so rare for women, right? Like you had to be a minority. For women. Yeah. And, um, Crazy. you know, I, after 9-11, I think we, you know, we all took stock in what we were doing and why we were doing it, whether or not you knew anybody in the buildings. Now, I, I did know people just because of my career. Um, there's a lot of finance companies in the Twin Towers, but... I don't think it mattered whether you knew anybody personally. I think we all had to kind of take a step back. And at the time, I had a nine-month-old son who 
you know, I can't believe turned 20 a couple months ago, but he was nine months old and I had my own fund with a partner and I was, you know, getting going at 4 a.m. and finishing up at six or seven at night and the nanny was raising my son. And it kind of made me take a step back and think, okay, maybe this, as much as I love that industry and as much as I loved the idea of being uh, a hedge fund manager and not a lot of women in that role, um, it just, it kind of occurred to me that maybe this wasn't the time in my life to do that. And so I, I had to take a serious shift and, you know, close the fund and send the money back. And then it was like, oh shit, what am I going to do now? Um, and so it's, you know, I kind of fell into this mortgage banking, which here I am 20 years later, um, still doing it and pretty successful at it and have built teams and have developed loan officers in the industry. Um, and I'm pretty proud of that. But, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still a little resentful that I had to make that decision. I don't resent my decision to choose to put myself in a position where I didn't have as long of hours and I had some flexibility to be with my, you know, eventually young children, because of course I had another one. Um, but I, I do, I do kind of resent the fact that, that I had to make that decision at all because I didn't feel like my male peers did. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big deal. And I think women have to take these, make these big decisions about, okay, am I going to be, you know, mom or am I going to be this power, power gal? Because you can have both, but there's this guilt thing that goes along with it that, you know, you struggle with, every woman struggles with um, when you decide to become a parent. Um, there's sacrifice in all of that. You want to be a business owner, you want to be a mother, you want to do it all, but you have to sacrifice something and there's always a sacrifice on one end or the other. I don't think, you know, it's kind of like they've, proven that you can't multitask truly. You always have to have your mind on one thing or another. It can't possibly think of three things. So as women have grown and tried to, you know, make our way in business alongside men, we felt like we had to do everything. And it's been, you know, it, there's just so much pressure to do that. And, you know, you ladies are amazing. And, uh, have proven that, you know, you can't necessarily multitask, but you can still do everything absolutely well. Well, well is a, is a questionable statement. <laughs> I also think, um, you know, like, I want to hear about your guys' biggest challenges. I know in my industry, it's like teach them how to fish and then they'll become a fisher man or woman for years. And so in in the insurance business, it's really bizarre. You, you'll have people that work with you and then they figure out how to do it. And then they'll go and want to start their own gig. And they sometimes will try to take your clients or, you know, what they think is theirs and all these things. And I can't tell you like how many times, you know, I've come across these situations that are very challenging in a sense to where you put a lot of energy into people and then, you know, they decide, okay, well, screw you, I'm going to go do my own thing. And it's like, you know, it's this kind of like knife in the heart um, personally. And then you got to realize professionally, like, okay, how do I protect myself from this not continuing to happen? And so, you know, 20 plus years in insurance, I've kind of figured it out a little bit. Uh, and it goes back to that relationship with your clients and it, you know, knowing, 
where you fit and what your raving fan, so to speak, qualities are to, and the benefit to the, to the people you're serving. Um, but those are some of the challenges I think for me ha I've had is just, you know, with people and people being, you know, you investing the energy in people and then people kind of not investing it back in a positive way. I mean, please, what do you think? Where, where are your challenges? Is it people related or more process or? Oh, I think it's always people related when you're building and maintaining and managing a team. Um, you know, there's, it, it always, it's always a bummer when somebody leaves to go do something else. And, you know, they, they, um, it's, it's not always related to us as managers or us as business owners, but uh, there, there is a weird sort of compliment in there that you've developed them to the point where they have the confidence that they can go out on their own and do it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a huge bummer. Um, but, you know, from, from my position, I really look at it as, you know, I've, I've got loan officers that work on my team and others, but let's just talk about the sales team. Um, you know, the loan officers have the borrowers, the, the, the home buyers and the homeowners that are their clients. I really look at my loan officers as my clients. So in the same way that I would develop relationships with borrowers to build that book of business, in this chair that I'm in, my loan officers are my clients. Mm -hmm. So I have to maintain those relationships and um, be the best I can be for them so they can turn around and be the best they can be for their book of business. Mm -hmm. Which I think is, is, is good because you're empowering, you know, on both ends of the spectrum. I remember one very pivotal moment in my career and I was about probably 23 um, and I had, you know, my name on the door, the big executive desk, you know, I was the girl. And um, I had been working on this account and it was the biggest account I'd ever worked on. It was a major development project in LA. And I mean, months and months of work and like really big boy kind of stuff. Um, you know, all the underwriters and guys of dealing with London, it was, it was incredible. And there was a battle between the two partners that, you know, were my clients. And one of the partners was, you know, my guy gonna do business with me. And the other guy was the money guy. And he decided, screw you partner, I'm going to use my broker. So in the insurance business, there's a, what you call a broker of record letter. So it's a signature form that someone can sign and basically take all of your work and now it becomes theirs. So I did months of work to get this deal done. And with one sign of a paper because of two pissing contests between two dudes, I lost the deal and I was so embarrassed. I was so devastated. And the same day, one of my marketing reps was in my office, you know, um, talking to me about something and there was some problem or something wasn't going right. And you guys, I literally sat at my desk and just burst into tears. And this woman was looking at me and her and I are still friends today. And she looked at me and she goes, you know what? I don't know what's going on, but I know if anyone's going to be able to do this, it's you. And like, this is a moment of learning for you. And like, you're going to get through this. And it was a real big turning point for me professionally to be like so vulnerable and so defeated and to have a woman sitting in my office be like, girl, like you got this, it's going to be okay. Um, and I actually messaged her not that long ago and was like, do you remember? And she was like, oh, I remember. And look, look, look at you now. Like that was a building moment for you. Um, but again, it like goes back to just being scared and vulnerable and, and, and being raw and like, learning and, and taking it as a, not a mistake, but more of a growth moment, if you will. Right. I don't know. It was, it was a pivotal moment for me. Yeah, it's crazy. And you know, for me, 
it's a little different because, you know, I've owned salons and had coworkers, but mainly they've, they've been independent contractors. So I haven't been so into their business or having to manage that. Um, but I do find that when you're dealing with people, there are just so many um, variables that go into like, how do I even say it? People are cruel. And so you get to, the more successful I have gotten, the more criticisms I get from some people, I constantly have to prove myself, prove my value and why they should pay me what I require as a fee. And I had to learn to not take those things personally because people will fall off. They won't be able to keep up. If I get successful, there will be people that I've known for a long time that can't or don't want to pay my fees and that's okay. And so I have to also learn that, you know, that's okay. But it's when they go to Yelp, like Samantha mentioned before, and they just want to blast you for being successful or getting to the point where you charge more than the average person in your industry, that should be a good thing for people to look at. That, oh, if your only gripe is that it's expensive, well then, you know, you're eating at the wrong restaurant. You know, you may not be able to afford that. But so, you know, I find this managing people and, and trying to maintain um, a very professional business life in, in certainly the beauty business is very cutthroat and there's always somebody else that'll pick up the slack and do something cheaper, uh, different and try to, to, um, bully you into, you know, feeling unconfident. They want to take you down. And but I don't, I don't think you need to prove your value. I think you need to know your value and be yes, confident right. in your value and and sort of stand firm and say exactly this, this is what it costs to work with me and exactly and i know why i know my value at right yeah. so trust me in my business like you can call freaking like 1-800 cash call and get some shitty loan officer who gets paid 500 dollars to do the file and doesn't care about you and yeah. doesn't care about being a filter for you and doesn't have any kind of vested interest in the success of what you're trying to accomplish financially for yourself and your family yeah. That's great because there's people that just want to pay that and that's fine. That's not me and that's never going to be me because I know my worth and I yeah. know that I go far deeper than most do and I look at the whole picture and I'm and I am not transactional. I'm there for life yeah. and we're going to re-examine how this fits into your financial picture annually or as often as you need to, right? That cash flow person, when you're done, you're never going to hear from them again. If yeah. that's what, if that's what you want to pay for, that's exactly what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the hard part for me in the past has been to get to the point where I do know my value and it's okay to say to the client, I'm not going to match that price because that's not the service I provide I and being that. able to walk away from that. No, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. I think in my industry, like we get paid a commission based on the premium. So most time it's anywhere from 10 to 15%. Well, if you sell a thousand dollar insurance policy that someone pays for, we make a hundred dollars. So, you know, when you're looking at logistics and numbers and things like that, it's like, okay, well, I can't run an office and pay my San Francisco rent and, you know, your health insurance and everything else based off of a 10%. So we have to charge a fee. 
Um, and it's fully disclosable. It's called a broker fee. And uh, for the longest time, I always felt like dirty, like charge, like I wouldn't charge it. I charge like a flat two, $250 knowing that I need, you know, whatever. And as I've grown, you know, when you start to look at how many times you touch an account or how many times you, cause like a lawyer bills you per hour when you have a phone call. Well, I can't tell you well, how please, many They bill you for a six minute Segment. Email, right? Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't bill for that. And so when I look at like how I charge now, I typically will charge on a 20%, you know, like I need to make 20% per deal. Um, but if it's a client that I know is a high touch point or I'm going to have to call and, you know, do a lot of stuff. And I had one client that I had touched like 900 times, 900 times, whether it was a certificate of insurance, a recommendation for a building, whatever the case. And I was like, dude, that what I'm charging is three cents, three cents. A, a, an experience like I can't afford to do this anymore and I'm like if you want me to do this and this is what it's going to cost you and this person said I, I believe you fine okay no problem because they get yeah. it but it took me a long time to be able to have those big girl conversations and be like you know my time is worth something but and, and you have to be okay if they say I'm not willing to pay that I'm going to walk away and you have to be okay letting them yeah, walk away totally it does take a while to get there yeah. But again, know your value and don't let anyone else take that away. Yeah. I've had to fire people, you know, who become just too needy or, or you know, just picky or, you know, just... Okay, but, but doesn't it kind of feel good to fire a client? It so you know, does. Because, I mean, I when mean, it's... When, when it's, it's a when it's pain in the butt and it's not worth your time, when you it's have necessary, to let it go. There is something that feels kind of good about that, but that's just me. <laughs> Well, that's what, you know, I mean about just uh, knowing, you know, your value, being confident, gaining that confidence that we've built, like, you know, our whole careers and, um, and sharing that confidence with others. And I think uh, we're pretty good at, at doing that. So uh, I don't know, I would call this our confidence building episode. And uh, I'm just really excited um, that women in business are gaining ground and people, uh, companies like Bumble are, are totally taking over and not letting big corporations take over for them and just saying, no, you know, we're going to stay women owned and we're going to forge through. So um, hopefully this episode uh, was inspiring for others as it was for us. I think we three ladies enjoyed this conversation very much. Um, so I just want to, uh, encourage everyone encourage everyone to go out and be inspired this is samantha tradelius stacy fleece and jennifer tovani you can reach us at mortgagesavant.com samantha tradelius.com tovani hair.com and uh contact at inspired.com